Let us pray. Lord, at this time we ask that you clear away any distractions that may compete for our attention. We ask that you open wide the windows to our hearts, to our soul, and that your light come pouring in. We pray that the word that as it is read this morning, that your gospel will infuse it, that it will come to life for us, and the good news will be proclaimed through the reading and through the hearing of it. Lord, bless this time that we have now in the presence of each other and in the presence of your spirit. In your holy name we pray. Amen. Please stand if you are able for the reading of the word. Our scripture this morning comes from Psalms chapter 127 verses 1 through 5. Unless the Lord builds the house, those who build it labor in vain. Unless the Lord watches over the city, the watchman stays awake in vain. It is in vain that you rise up early and go late to rest, eating the bread of anxious toil, for he gives to his beloved sleep. Behold, children are a heritage from the Lord, the fruit of the womb a reward. Like arrows in the hand of a warrior are the children of one's youth. Blessed is the man who fills his quiver with them. He shall not be put to shame when he speaks with his enemies in the gate. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. The past few weeks we've been uh, doing a sermon series uh, called Living True in a World of Lies. And what we've been discovering is that there are a lot of sayings, a lot of things that are are said in our culture and the secular culture that may shape us and may inform us, but they're not always correct. Some of them are, uh, are misleading, some of them seem right, but then when we compare them to Scripture, we see that they're actually flawed. And then, of course, there are some things, the uh, prevailing wisdom, worldly wisdom, that just flat out go against Scripture altogether. And so as we've been doing this study, we've, we've been trying to take some of these sayings or some of these thoughts and comparing them to what the Scripture has to say. And, and the, the idea is that we will be able to live true or at least closer to the truth than we could have if we were just going by the whims and the, the ways of, of the world and, and the culture. Uh, if you were here a few weeks ago, you remember I gave the example that it's, it's, it's kind of like um, when you look through the scope of a gun and, and you, can, you, you aim at the target and you think that you have a perfect sight, but then you shoot and you're off the mark. And there's no way you, you can correct that just by looking through there and thinking that you're going to look at the target. You have to have it sighted in. You have to focus. You have to bring it in to focus. And that's what Scripture does for us. You see, we can look at the world. We can look at holiness. We can look at, at goodness. We can look at perfection, walking with Christ, whatever it is. And that can be our aim. But if we are looking at it through a flawed perspective, we're going to be missing the mark. And Scripture gives us sort of a new lens or a new scope to look at that through. And so we turn to the Scripture to see exactly what it is uh, that we, we are off on. How, how do we need to cite ourselves in more accurately? 
the, some of the, the lies or some of the, the misleadings, misgivings that we've talked about so far have been sort of gray areas, things that we can easily misunderstand, like, like is, is isolation and separation the same thing? And, uh, and, and some of those things have been very difficult, but we have to turn to Scripture and look at them. Today, the, the lie that we are going to be look at, looking at is just outright false, and I pray that we don't uh, fall victim to it. But here it is. There is a prevailing uh, assertion in our culture, more and more these days, that to teach a child uh, the ways of faith, to bring a child up to believe in something, is a form of brainwashing. I've, I've heard many people say that. That may be foreign to some of you, but I've heard many of my friends say that. Well, you're bringing your child to bring up, to believe something. Uh, you need to let them make up their mind for themselves. And they call that brainwashing. First of all, that's not true. If you look at the definition of brainwashing in the, de- in the, the dictionary, it says a forcible indoctrination to give up political, social, or religious beliefs and to accept contrasting regimented ideas. In other words, the the true definition of brainwashing is to cause someone to give up their previous beliefs and adopt one that you are forcing on them. So we see right away that teaching a child uh, to, to, to grow up in faith and teaching a child scripture or, or how to live their lives in ways that are morally right and straight, that's not the same thing as brainwashing because you're not replacing anything. You are giving them... Uh, a path to follow. You are giving them vision. You aren't replacing anything. But having said that, we also need to recognize that a child's mind does not exist in a vacuum. A child, something will be put in there one way or another. And if we don't teach them, if we don't equip them, if we don't pass on what we believe and share that with them, then somebody else will. All you have to do is turn on the TV. You can look at Nickelodeon or the Disney Channel or Cartoon Network, any of those. And if you watch them really hard for, uh, for longer than just a few minutes, something will happen on one of those shows or in a commercial that you just can't believe is on there. And you'll think, my child watches this. My child has been exposed to this. And it could be subtle. It could be just a little suggestion, maybe in a commercial or, or a side remark meant to be funny in a show. And the reason why those things exist is because the world doesn't believe this. The world does not have their idea of truth centered on what God has told us. And so when they put something into a show or into a song or whatever it is, they don't think anything of it being right or wrong. That's just the way they see things. And our, our, our children, and, and us as well, not just children, but us as well, if we spend time putting all of that into our mind and nothing else, that will become our direction. That will become our focus. If you don't believe that, all you have to do is look at the shift in our culture in the past 20 or 30 years, the past few generations the way that we have changed and the way we view certain things. Some things for the better, but some things not for the better at all. And it's because we've had this sort of popular culture stuff uh, ingrained in us, the thoughts of the world, the secular thought, and, and we haven't been trained scripturally. We haven't been trained in the ways of faith like we should, and we aren't doing that for our children as well. You let a generation or two go by like that, And things start to unravel. 
Now, you don't need to worry about uh, children not being able to, to figure things out for themselves. That, that's sort of the, the premise behind this, this claim. You need to let children figure out religion for themselves. They will. When they get older, they, every child will eventually come to a point where they, they start to wonder about what they believe and if it's true. I know that happened for me. I was raised in a home with, with scripture and going to church, but I got to a certain age where I said, wait, do I really believe this or do I only believe it because I've been taught that? Well, at that time, I was, I was at a point in my life where I could make that decision for myself. But I was more equipped to make that decision because I had the, the proper equipping and training growing up. It should never be said that a child grows into adulthood and has no sense of direction because the church has failed them or because their family has failed them or their community has failed them. And that is not brainwashing to teach a child how to love, to teach a child that they are loved by God. It's not brainwashing. It's called training. Proverbs 22.6 says, Train up a child in the way he should go, and when he's old, he will not depart from it. We train children in all kinds of areas all the time. Whether it be sports, we have them go out and practice and get better. Whether it's uh, school, we have them come home and do their homework and, and go over the drills that they've learned in school earlier that day. Whether it's something like scouts, where we send them from their meeting and say, here's something for you to be working on to get your next belt loop or your next badge. We train children all the time in all these different areas, so why would we not train them in the ways of faith? in the ways of love, in the ways of Christ-likeness. In fact, it's not just a suggestion in Scripture that we do this. It's actually a command. If you look at the passage that we just read in Psalms, it says that unless the Lord builds the house, those who labor in it labor in vain. In other words, you can be focused on building your house, on raising your family, on doing everything perfect, but unless the Lord is a part of that process, you're doing it in vain. And it says, unless the watchman has the protection of the Lord on his side, he watches in vain. One of my favorite commercials, I can't even remember the company who it's for, but it's one of those security companies where uh, the, the people are on the floor of a bank. Have you all seen this? They're getting robbed. And they turn to the security guard and they say, do something. And the security guard says, I'm not a guard, I'm a monitor. My job is to let you know that you're being robbed. And then he looks around and he goes... You're being robbed. That's what it's like when we set about uh, raising our our families, our homes, our, our churches, our communities, and we don't have the Lord invested in that with us. We do it in vain, as the scripture says. But there are many benefits to raising a child in faith. There are many benefits in letting a child know that they are loved by God. First of all, they grow up with some emotional stability. They also grow up having a sense of self-worth and a working knowledge of how love works. Of course, there's a caveat to this. We have to do it the right way. We can't abuse them in the way that we teach them. But if we train them properly, they will grow up with a sense of self-worth. They will grow up knowing that they are loved by God. And then maybe more importantly, they will also grow up knowing what they believe and why. 
So many times people go through those formative years, the first years of their life, and they get to a certain age where they just don't know what they believe or why they believe, and they are lost. And they try to excuse it. The world tries to say, well, that's fine. Let them figure it out for themselves. And they quote this, this quote from uh, Lord of the Rings. J.R. Tolkien said, uh, not all who wonder are lost. And that works in the story. That works in the book. But as a motto for life, it doesn't work really well. Because we might say not all who wander are lost, and that might be true, but I think we can all agree that if you wander for too long, you will become lost. But what we do when we equip a child, when we train them, when we raise them in love, when we raise them according to, to the way that God is leading us to do so, they at least have a starting point. They at least have something that they can start from and, and, and evaluate who they are in light of that and whether or not they are going to allow them to shape that, to shape them. We do a lot of complaining about leadership in, in our world. Uh, if you look at the leaders that we've had the last several years, it, it's no wonder the world is a mess. But if we really want to do something about it, then us, all of us here, have to, in some sense, become leaders ourselves so that we can train better leaders for future generations. This psalm uses the, the analogy of arrows. It says, children are like arrows in our quiver. And I love that analogy. In, in, in ancient Greece, there was this, uh, this symbol of the archer that represented uh, focus and direction. And, and Augustine, St. Augustine used it. John Calvin many centuries later, would use it as well to say that we, when, uh, when we think of Scripture, when we think of a life of faith, we, have, we are the archer. We have the bow. We have the arrow. But we don't know which direction to face. We don't know where we're shooting it. Scripture gives us a place to stand. Our faith, our morals, our values, they give us a place to stand so that we can know where we are shooting and if we take this psalm and we say that children are the arrows, then we have to think of children as something that we are casting into the future. That is our legacy. We are casting them into the future. And we can cast them in any direction if we don't have direction ourselves. But when we have focus, when we know where we're going, when we train them to be the people who God desires them to be, then we can cast them into the right direction. And not only will we be doing them a great service, but the future generations and the people that they come in contact with as well. We have to train them well, though. And you might be sitting there wondering, what do you mean we? I don't have children, or my children are, are grown and gone. We all share a responsibility in raising the children here in this church, here in the community, in our families, all of them that we come into contact with. Just a few short years ago, we had no children at all in this church building. And now every week, we have several. We have scouts that come in here and meet two or three times a week. We have vacation Bible school. We have Sunday school. We have children's church. We have children's choir that meets at certain times of the year. All of these things take place here, and we all have a role to play in that. We are all responsible for the children that come into this church. Jesus said, if any of, the, of you allow these little ones or cause these little ones to stumble, 
it would be better for you that a millstone was tied around your neck and you were cast into the sea. Now, one way that we allow little ones to stumble is just by simply not being there, not being present, not offering them the grace and the love of Jesus Christ. And there's so many ways we can do that here in this church or outside these walls. There are so many ways we can offer Jesus Christ to someone, to share the love of God with them. And if we don't, then that's on us. One of the most harmful lies that we could ever buy into coming from the secular world is that we should not push religion on our children. And I use that term, it's not even an accurate term. Uh, an accurate term. It's, it's deceptive. We don't push anything. We're equipping them. At least that's what we should be doing. We can all make a difference in the life of a child, whether it's here in church, whether it's through teaching and training in a program like Scouts, or whether it's simply just offering them the love and mercy that they crave in their time of need. I'm very grateful for all the leaders of the Scouts, for all our school teachers, for all the others who dedicate their time, their attention to the children in our community. But more importantly, God is pleased at you who are doing that. Let the rest of us also come together and join in on that ministry. When we spend time training and teaching our children, we're not just doing what God desires, we're also being good stewards of people. We're developing future leaders. We're doing a service to future generations in their society. That's not brainwashing. That's faithfulness. That's stewardship. It's love. And it's a wonderful privilege that we all share. Let us pray. Lord, we thank you for the gift of children in our homes, in the church, and in community. We ask your forgiveness for all the times that we may have failed them or all the times that we may have misled them or led them according to our own ways, like a watchman who does not have the Lord helping him protect the city. Lord, we ask that you give us vision, that you help us align ourselves with truth to focus our hearts on your will, not just for us, but your will for the future generations, your will for this nation. Lord, we ask that you empower us and strengthen us in ways that we've never known, that you give us a heart for children and that you teach us as we teach them. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Today being the first Sunday of the month is also the uh, service of Holy Communion. If you would get out your, uh, your hymnal, the United Methodist hymnal, and turn with me to page 12. And I'd like to take this moment to, to remind you that this is not my table. This is not the church's table. It's not the United Methodist table. This is God's table. And all are welcome to it, regardless of membership, regardless of denomination or, or church affiliation. Everyone is welcome. Please read with me responsibly on page 12. Christ our Lord invites to his table all who love him, who earnestly repent of their sin and seek to live in peace with one another. Therefore, let us confess our sin before God and one another. 
Merciful God, we confess that we have not loved you with our whole heart. We have failed to be an obedient church. We have not done your will. We have broken your law. We have rebelled against your love. We have not loved our neighbors, and we have not heard the cry of the needy. Forgive us, we pray. Free us for joyful obedience. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen.